and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we've got a great show for you. We're going to talk about a crop that we really don't spend much time on. It's lentils. Go We're going to discuss the pulse that crops. today. Love yep. it. Yep. But I, I will say, look, if you don't raise lentils, I get it. Most of our listening audience is not going to raise lentils. But we're going to talk about that just a little bit. And then we will talk about many things that are similar with lentils to other crops and things that could potentially help you in your crop be more profitable and productive here in 2021. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. If you've got a question for us, you can send it to radio at agphd.com. Otherwise, you can call into our studio here. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag right now. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, you're not going to believe this. First question, this comes from Eric. He's in central South Dakota, and we get a lot of questions about water hemp in soybeans. We get a lot of questions about water hemp in cotton and in other broadleaf crops. But Eric said, you won't believe this, but we've got a lot of water hemp starting to pop up in our wheat fields, and our bromoxanil combination products aren't as good as we would like. Wondering if there's a favorite product you've got for controlling water hemp in wheat. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, it's not that difficult to stop. Uh, Water hemp, and and by the way, I am not surprised at all because we've seen pigweeds for years in wheat. It's just that water hemp in particular had basically, let's call it, started more in the southeast, and it's moved more to the northwest. When one water hemp plant can put on a million seeds, one plant, one million seeds, it's going to spread, and it's going to spread relatively quickly. So anyway, in terms of wheat, it's very easy to control. You just start with two ounces of Sharpen, and then you follow post-emerge with Husky, and you will kill 100% of your water hemp plants. No problem. Yeah, that pre-emerge Sharpen treatment is just been, it's, it's been a such a good product for use in wheat on kochia and water hemp and some of these yeah, tough but, broadleaf weeds. But Darren, here's the problem. Most wheat producers say, well, I can't, I can't afford eight or nine dollars. Well, just just yesterday yes, on the show. Can. Yesterday on the show, we had, a, we had a chemical rep on the show. And he's like, ah, I don't know if that pre-emerge is so big. Well, he doesn't have any pre-emerge herbicides to sell. So I see why he isn't thinking it's such a big deal. But wow, if you have never tried a pre-emerge herbicide on your wheat, try a little bit this year. Just take one field or two fields and split them and look for yourself. Just go to somewhere where there's been a weedy mess and put out Sharpen at two ounces in front of your wheat and just watch the broadleaves disappear. You don't even have to look at them because it'll kill them before they even come out of the ground. It's awesome. Yep. It's fantastic. So yeah, super easy to control water hemp in wheat. And by the way, it's also very easy to control kochia in wheat if you start with Sharpen. Sharpen's going to kill all your broadleaf weeds, and I mean all of them, and it's going to do an excellent job and leave you some residual. It's just, yep, I know it's going to cost eight or nine bucks, but for any of those, like Darren said, weedier fields, absolutely use it. You'll be super happy. By the way, Sharpen has fantastic burndown activity as well. So if you're raising spring wheat and a few weeds are up when you spray the Sharpen, they're dead. But make sure that you've got the Sharpen sprayed before the wheat comes out of the ground. Otherwise, you're going to ding that up and that would be bad. All right. Thanks, Eric, for the question. Got this one from Colton, and he said, I'd love to hear you guys do a show about generic herbicide products, whether you guys like using them, how you feel about making your own premixes, just the advantages and disadvantages for growers that consider going that route. 
Well, look, I don't care if you go name brand or generic. Ultimately, we want you to get the best value for your farm. So make sure that you look into all the differences. The main things that we're typically talking about are rebates, complaint handling, and product quality. So if you can get uh, a good net price on a, on a name brand product, then why would you not go that direction? That way you shouldn't have to worry about the other two things that I mentioned. But, you know, when we do get concerned about potential complaint handling and about product quality, well, a lot of times people say, oh, the generics, you can't really trust them. Well, there are actually some that you can. There are some of the biggest generic companies. I remember, let's see, I think it was 2007, Darren and I went over to Israel because we wanted to see what's now known as Adama. Uh, over in Israel. They were the largest generic company in the world at the time. And we just thought, well, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. Well, we get over there, state-of-the-art facilities. And actually, I, I really like having the opportunity to go to manufacturing plants and talking to some of the people there, because then you learn more than you're going to get talking to salespeople, you know? Well, anyway, they're actually, they got boxes for name brand manufacturers there. They're literally making some of the name brand products on contract for the name brand companies. So I'm like, okay, the product quality box checked. And then it comes back to the complaint handling. Like I say, if you do have a problem with something, will that company stand behind it or will it not? But yeah, we use some generic products on our farm each year. And we certainly use a lot of name brand stuff, a lot of advantages to name brand. The name brand companies are typically going to talk to you about this one thing. Hey, pay more for our stuff so we can stick more dollars into research. Okay, now I, I get that logic. And if you, if you follow with that, great. Uh, the other side of it is, you got to look at just for you, how do you make more dollars? Well, if there are certain products out there that have, like I was saying, better quality, complaint handling, rebate, uh, you know, rebate programs and things like that, maybe even financing. Financing is a big deal now. Many of these companies have 0% finance offers. Well, that's worth something. So you got to make sure that you're actually figuring it all in there. But there are a lot of the name brand companies now that have lowered their prices enough between the financing, the rebates, all these other things that it gets down to generic cost and maybe even less. And I'll tell you one last thing. I got a few seconds left here. Um, every year I meet with the head people in a lot of these big companies. I do a lot of traveling other than in 2020. <laughs> but every other year, for years and years, I've done a lot of traveling and spent a lot of time with these head people to try to help them understand where the market is. And what I'm typically trying to do is talk them into lower pricing. Because for me as a farmer and for you as a farmer, we've got to have reasonable input costs if we're going to profit and we're going to thrive in the future. So anyway, those are just my general comments about generics. We're going to talk lentil production right after this. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. As Brian had mentioned to start the show, we're going to talk a little about lentils. And I know we get a lot of questions about different crops. This is certainly one of them. And when you think about lentils, besides being quite tasty, uh, they're they're a profitable crop for a lot of growers. So I wanted to talk to you if you've got some interest in lentils or if you've been raising them. Love to get some tips from you. Our phone lines are open at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Of course, if you have any agronomic question about lentils or anything, please ask. We we would love to help if we can. Let's head up to Saskatchewan. We got Nick with us right now. Nick, how are you today? Oh, not bad. You guys? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Okay, so I know you raised a number of different crops, lentils being one of them. What what are acres looking like for this year for you, and also in in your part of Saskatchewan? Are lentil acres on the rise this year? Well, we were set up to do a bunch, and then, uh, I don't know, every other commodity's ramping up in prices quite a bit, so we're not sure what to do yet. We haven't made a concrete plan yet. It's, every day is different with the market, so we're uh, not sure what to do yet, but we'll probably throw a quarter of the production into them, into lentils. We enjoy growing them. They're, they're a very risk-reward crop. Some days they can be your friend, and some years they uh, you wish you didn't grow an acre of them, so I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so talk to us about that. Obviously, you got market prices, and like you mentioned, when commodities start going nuts, then that that makes it tougher for some of these other crops. But I think about disease issues with lentils. That seems to be one that we get a lot of questions about. Have you run into anything up there that you're really concerned about in lentils as far as disease goes? And then, if so, have you found a solution? Yeah, I think that we're definitely uh, we definitely do the fungicide double application usually, but but I think the application of the fungicide is the most important on your second pass is what we found. It's to try penetrate down to that stem to get the ascochyta on that stem, you know, and that when it's a thick, lush crop in July. But to get penetrated down there, that's the, the key factor, I think, for fungicides. I know there's a lot of work. That. I know there's a lot of work going in on ascochyta. Are, 
are you seeing any improvements? Are you seeing varietal tolerance with some varieties or, or anything else that's helping? Uh, I haven't paid it too much attention to that part, but we just know that we got spray and we know it pays to spray it. So we, we do it and we just, we do try to do a good job with lots of water and, and the right tips to, to penetrate down there and, and to do the job, I guess. Yeah. Have you gotten a chance to use any ethoboxum seed treatment? I know in the United States it's marketed as Intego. Uh, have, have you got that? Got access to that in Canada? And if so, just curious what what trials have shown there. We have. Uh, we've used it on peas before, um, but never used it on lentils. We just stuck with the basic seed treatments on lentils, and it seems to always work for that. But but no, we've used it the Intego Solo. I think it was called yeah. on the peas before. Okay, yeah, they're seeing some good yeah. results on that down here in the state, so I'm betting that'll that'll probably be a push up there uh, going into this 2021 season. How, how about on the weed yeah. control? I know uh, I've walked in a number of lentil fields, and depending on where you're at in the world, there's there's some different weeds that can be challenging out there. What have you found up in your territory of uh, weeds that you really have to watch out for in lentils? Kosha is <laughs> probably the oh kosher, sure take the... take the easy one. <laughs> <laughs> uh buckwheat used to be a bad one but uh it gets controlled too i'm just thinking for harvestability weeds that are ones that are tough to uh manage at harvest time but uh probably kosher is still it's uh it's the one that we've done different things and it's still one year you think you want it and the next year it's i don't know it's it, we we haven't found the magic secret yet well, in, when you look at crop rotation, and obviously you got got wheat and and canola and other things, where you've got some pretty nice control options there, do you try to put something in front of lentils on purpose just to wipe out as much of the kosher as you can? Yeah, when we when we uh, desiccate our uh, canola, in uh, if we're putting lentils after canola, we'll we'll use like a, a heat. I'm not sure what group that is, but we'll use add that in too just to to get some. Uh, glyphosate resistant koshas because we got enough of those coming around now yeah yeah that's for sure that's what i say take take the easy one kosha well i know that's a problem <laughs> uh you know I, I wish we had the answer to that okay talk to us about lentils and fertility then what what's a little different about this crop is it timing is it a certain nutrient in your area what what have you found to have success with uh last year like this uh, last 2020 crop we had done chip done a bunch of fall applying fertilizer we put down 60 actual n and we were going to put canola there but we end up growing lentils there and we were a little worried that we would grow a thick uh crop of lentils that wouldn't produce much but uh it was happened to be our better lentil crops and we're just wondering if maybe they secretly do need more nitrogen than a guy knows about but we didn't have any untreated fields so i don't know we couldn't compare against the two but uh, we just use the regular FOSS, uh, whatever the seed can handle. It's like 20 pounds of 20 pounds of actual FOSS with a seed, and and that's about it. But nothing uh, nothing different for fertility too much. But but the nitrogen, we're just wondering if it if they can handle if they would like some more nitrogen than we normally would put with them. That is interesting, and I, I, I'm betting you're probably going to do some trial work now to see, all right, let's try it on a little bit in part of a field and at least see if that was a fluke or if that, that's something that's going to continue. Yeah, we, we even played around with uh, seeding rates this year because normally we always seed a bushel 
60 pounds uh, of uh, seed and everybody does that and we played around with different seeding rates and went from 40 pounds 60 pounds 80 pounds and the higher you went it was a uh, better yield every time i wish i would have did a 100 pounds seeding rate to see what it did but it was sure like carpet out there you wouldn't think uh you know it's a haven for diseases but if you can keep the fungicide on them and but it, it sure showed up in our trials that uh higher seeding rate was better especially on the the higher nitrogen ground too you think those two combinations wouldn't be very good but it worked out good yeah yeah that's neat well it's one of the things we were just talking about high yield wheat production here the other day and one of the things that a lot of the the really high yielding guys would tell you is well you got to find out where that limit is at the end so they they would just go crazy they'd say well 100 pounds let's try 150 pounds and just see what happens out there in a strip i would always suggest do that on your brother's ground it's a good reason to farm with your brother because that's a nice little <laughs> trial patch to have but but seriously yeah. uh, it, it'll be interesting to see i'm, I'm really curious about that because the fertility thing for me is always one of those little tweaks because sometimes like here you go you came out of that where you thought it was going to be canola you probably wanted to know yeah. is this even going to work and now you yeah. know yeah yeah no it uh, was very interesting anyways it's like every every year is different but i guess some years you learn and live and learn i guess and whatnot so yeah well it'll be interesting to see how these commodity prices stack up and i know it's gonna definitely impact crops like lentils and, and how many acres you want to grow and so forth. But really appreciate you talking through some of these scenarios with us, Nick. And, and thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You guys have a good day. Good day. You know, Nick mentioned something there about the fertility brand that really got the wheels turning. You know, that's that's another challenge. Like like we'd mentioned, you don't have all the weed control options sometimes in, in these crops that aren't major acre crops. But you also don't have all the other stuff that goes into this, like the, the knowledge and trial work on the fertility as much as you do in, you know, a corn and soybeans, for example. You've got tens of millions of acres. Well, there just aren't nearly as many acres. Yeah. No, I agree. I wanted to come back real quick uh, before we get done with this segment here ask Akita. Uh, there are a lot of foliar fungicides too. And like we always say, be early, be early, be early on the fungicides. If you get out there early enough, you can prevent a lot of diseases with fungicide. And to Nick's point, I, I, I think when you're going those higher seeding rates, like he was mentioning, it is true. You are going to trap a lot more moisture. You are going to have more disease issue. There aren't a lot of fungicides that are labeled in lentils either here or in, in Canada, but I, I would say there are some pretty decent ones. You look at Askakita, for example, Preaxer is pretty good. So you can go that way. There are There is, uh, I, I'm just trying to say, there are some options out there for fungicides that are labeled. So it all depends on what disease you're after. Um, you know, there's also Endura that's labeled. You could go Quadris or Straight Headline, but Preaxor actually has looked about as good as anything in Askakita and as good as anything for just a general product that's going to control most diseases. All right, well, stay tuned. We're going to talk just a little more about lentils right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. 
AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. I'll take predictability where I can get it. With their CropWise Seed Selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits. And even where it doesn't. Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at nkseeds.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our topic is lentil production, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. For any agronomy question you may have about lentils or other crops, be happy to help. Right now, we get a special treat for you. We've got Brian Jenks with us with North Dakota State University. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so first question, believe it, now this is really going to shock you here. First question that came up with lentil production today, we were talking to Nick up in Saskatchewan about kosher control. You probably never get that question, do you? Uh, rare. <laughs> rare yeah. that I don't. <laughs> what a what a weed. I, I just keep wishing that out of the Dakotas we could ship kosher all over the place. You know, all the people that are claiming, well, we're sending Palmer pigweed your way. I'd love to send them kosher back and see how they do. Yeah, that that's a tough one. All right, so what do you do? I would assume that rotation has to come into play here. Absolutely. Uh, rotation is uh, very important, especially for lentil, because lentil is not very competitive. It doesn't get real tall. 
and so it's not going to compete with weeds very well at all. And so to go to a lentil crop, you really need to have a clean field, and so that's uh, why it's important to be able to reduce the weed pressure from previous years in, in other crops. All right, you're getting a lot of questions about this. And this is the fun part about North Dakota, that there's so many different crops. Growers are looking for any advantage they can get, any any shot they can make some money. And I love some of the rotations that guys have. So you mentioned how important that is in weed control and certainly with disease control and, and other things. What are some of the other weed challenges that you have in, in lentils and some of the pulse crops? Right now in the western part of the state where, where the lentils are grown and, and most of the pulse crops are grown, and then also in eastern Montana. Uh, some of our bigger challenges, in addition to kochia, has been our winter annuals, like uh, narrowleaf hawksbeard, horseweed, uh, prickly lettuce, uh, even mustards. And, uh, and then you've got your regular pigweed, lamb's quarters, those weeds as well. But uh, I get most of my questions on kochia and then the winter annuals right now. And narrowleaf hawksbeard is one we get a lot of questions on. What are you seeing that's working on that particular weed, and in which crop are you really targeting it? Narrowleaf hawksbeard is a winter annual, and it primarily germinates in the fall. It can germinate a little bit in the spring, but it's the biggest challenge is when you get it germinating in the fall. And so we, we try to get guys to target it. Uh, now, we've seen hawksbeard emerge from late August up to Halloween. So it does have a very wide window of germination. And so you really can't target, say, a Roundup or another product, you know, just at the right time because you might get a later emergence. And so what we are trying to get guys to do, and we've been quite successful with it, is to tank mix glyphosate with, say, a 2,4-D or an Express to they're emerged at the time of application, but then also include a valor, uh, which will give you residual, so that you don't have to try and time that application at the perfect time. You can go out, say, uh, mid-late September, ideally, uh, control the weed with your Roundup or 2,4-D Express, uh, have valor in the tank to control what emerges later. And where we have done something like that, We've actually been quite successful on narrowleaf hawksbeard. The thing that we've seen with hawksbeard that's kind of nice so far is it seems like every every weed germinates or every seed germinates, and so the the seed longevity really isn't that long. And so if we can keep it from going to seed one year, we typically don't have that big of a problem with it. The next few years. Well, I was listening to this with my farmer hat on, Brian, and when you said every seed that's out there germinates, that made me cringe. I was like, oh no, we're going to be in big trouble. But I do see the positive side, that at least if you can deal with it the next year, it's not like water hemp where you're dealing with it for the next five. Exactly. All right, so you mentioned the fall treatments, and I'm glad you did. We get a lot of questions about those fall treatments in front of a lot of different crops. Is that growing in popularity in North Dakota? Absolutely, in in the especially in the western part of the state, um, and since you you initially brought up kochia, we we have seen that where we are getting out there in the fall, especially to target these winter annual weeds again, like hawksbeard, horseweed, prickly lettuce, mustards, we are uh, we are able to control these much better with the fall application. 
But then in addition, that fall valor, we have seen that in many cases, that fall valor, depending on when it's applied and and certain conditions, can stick around enough to take out some of that early kochia in the in the next spring and so it will thin out that kochia population to where you've got fewer to fewer plants to deal with and therefore it makes your pre-plant burn down or pre-emergence burn down more effective because you don't have as many plants to deal with you know and for our listeners that are further south uh, keep in mind here brian is up in north dakota and when he talks about trying to kill stuff in the early spring it is cold (laughs) and trying to get products like glyphosate or glufosinate or even 2,4-D and dicamba to work in the early spring in north dakota is a challenge so this fall treatment makes a lot of sense not just for growers in the south but certainly for growers in the north it offers some big rewards uh brian jenks with north dakota state brian thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate having you on you bet thanks all right so brian was talking about weed control we talk about this all the time in every crop you know we are the weed of the week guys we want great weed control that's how you maximize yield but what we discuss quite often is you can't just do it in one shot. Now, as much as all of us would love to be able to do it in one shot, it just unfortunately doesn't usually work that way. So what we are talking about quite often in lentils is the same thing that we're talking about in soybeans, three different modes of action pre-emerge. So what that usually means is prowl. And by the way, in lentils, you can't use what I would consider full rates, uh, the full rates that we would use in soybeans. You can't use that higher rate in lentils because of crop sensitivity. And also make sure that in your area, these products are labeled. Obviously, we have a lot of listeners here from Can- or on our show from Canada, from different states than we farm in. We farm in South Dakota. So just look at the label. Make sure that whatever I'm telling you here is labeled for your particular area. But anyway, we usually start with Prowl plus Metribuzin. So if you've got those two modes of action right away, you're in good shape. Prowl, though, we're usually talking only two pints instead of three, but only two pints in lentils. Metribuzin, you can still go up to a third of a pound if your soil pH is less than 7.4. And then the next thing I would throw in, where labeled, is sharpen. Now, sharpen, again, isn't going to be, you're not going to be able to use that full rate that you can in corn or wheat, for example, but you definitely can use some in most areas, 0.75 ounces, so three quarters of an ounce. So that's not enough to give you lots of residual, but at least it's a little bit. Now, in, if, if you want, you could go out there with a group 15 as well. So there are several modes of action that are labeled. Oh, and one one last one I should mention is pursuit. So you could start with pursuit. Now, usually when we talk pre-emerge use, we don't talk above two ounces, maybe three at the most. Four ounces is a full rate. We just worry a lot about carryover. Post-emerge beyond uh, could be labeled in Clearfield lentils. And so that would be definitely one way to go. But if you don't have that, you don't you, you may not have a lot of weed control options post-emerge. And that's part of why we want to start with three priests. Think about it like conventional soybeans, where you've got a crop, soybeans, that doesn't have great canopy, number one. And number two, uh, most of the post-emerge products aren't that great. So 
it's kind of the same thing with lentils. We don't have pulse products or we don't have great ones. About all we have is clethodum for grass in, in regular lentils. So we got to start with a really, really good pre-emerge herbicide program. Also, it did get mentioned a little bit already, and I, I talked about preaxor, but I would just say disease. Disease can be a real big issue in lentils. If you haven't been using a fungicide, at least try some. You can also try some other things uh, that you may not have done before. Maybe a little insecticide, something like dimethoate, uh, some foliar fertilizer, maybe even some biological products. So experiment, experiment. That's what we always talk about here on the show. Try some new things out, and hopefully you can get some better lentil production on your farm this year. Well, we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag here, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can just give us a phone call too, 844-44-AG-PHD. If you want to chat about your agronomic question, got this one from Jonathan in Minnesota. And he said, I've been looking on YouTube and looking at your website, and I've never really seen a, a segment on the proper way to take a soil sample. And here's a couple of the common problems I'm running into and looking for a little bit of advice. You put the probe in the ground and you want to get to six and a half inches. And I know you guys talk about marking the probe, but sometimes here's what happens. You push down and you end up with three inches of dirt in the tube. So what do you do? Do you just run with those three inches? Do you try and shove the probe back in the same hole and get another three inches? Uh, when you have really soft soil, what do you do in those situations? Should you stamp on it a little bit, firm it up, and then pull your probe? I know if we just recently worked ground, that can be a problem. Also, it's different sticking the probe in the ground fall versus spring does that really impact our results? If so, how do you handle that? So yeah, the physical proper way to do a soil test, that would be excellent. And it's been hard for me to find. Okay. So yeah, I agree with that. I personally, I don't know if I've seen anything on any of the questions that you're asking about, but I'll say this, this is why we talk so much about number one, we want to be out there immediately after the combine, no tillage first, no fertilizer application first or any of that stuff be out there right away and do it immediately. Now, if you are a spring tester, which we're not, we're going to do it in the fall all the time. That's what I like. Um, and then, then we have all winter to talk about our data. K keep in mind, we have very long winters here, so we need something to do. But anyway, in the spring, if you're going to test in the spring, just always test in the spring because we've got these same issues all the time. So in other words, we just want consistency. If you've got soft soil once, you want soft soil all the time. For me, I like hard soil right after harvest. So there hasn't been any tillage, no fertilizer, nothing else done. And that's the truest test I think that I can get. So that's what I would do. Then in terms of your questions, okay, this, the ground is soft because we did work it first. Well, I don't like that, but if it was me, would I, would I stamp it down? I don't know. Probably. I, I, I mean, I just, I don't like to soil test worked ground because it's going to be too inconsistent. That's my problem. So would I do that? Work it first and then test it? No, I would always test first, then work it. Okay because yeah, I mean, technically you probably should stamp it down a little bit. Well, how are you going to do that consistently? You're going to pull eight cores for all these grid points and you're going to try to get that consistent. It's never going to happen. Uh, let's see. Oh, the other question was how much soil is in that probe? It, look, if there's only three inches in there uh, and you're trying to take a six inch test, something went wrong. Yeah, so your soil conditions might not be conducive for pulling samples that day. And I've personally run into this yeah. myself where, you know what, it's too sticky out there. Or like you say, sometimes it's just bone dry and there, there's a number of conditions you may just have to wait. I know we've had folks on from soil testing labs many times on our show, and I've asked them some of these difficult questions. And for the most part, I get, well, then I just wouldn't pull samples that day. 
I'd give it a week or two and hope it dries out or yeah, give it a week or two and hope you catch I, a rain. I know, but that's something you would hear from a lab person, right? So for those of us who are farmers, we know how most people no, who are not farmers of, are going to answer questions. For some of us who are impatient, Brian, no, impatient. You talk about that, but Darren, you can't wait a week or two. In the fall, a week or two, the snow might be flying. And nope, now nope, we're that I much later but for putting on fertilizer and tillage and everything Just else. say it's that tough. it's not going to be conducive to do it later. Then when it is conducive, you do it. So maybe you say, you know what? I am harvesting today and I've got 400 acres that are ready to go that I need to sample and it's going to rain. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to keep harvesting harvest. every time, right? Maybe you get somebody else to do some soil samples. You say, you know what, I'm just going to have to buck up this year, hire somebody else to pull some samples, or I'm going to have to get my teenager out there pulling samples today instead of goofing around after school. I, I don't know what it is, but, yeah, there's just some days that it's not great. If it's raining, is it a good day to pull a soil sample? Of course not. But what about the day right after a rain? It's not a good day either. So you say, well, I got to get maybe, it done. Maybe. I just think you might have to wait. But thanks for the question. We do really appreciate that, Jonathan. Uh, let's head up uh, to Saskatchewan. We got Tom, Tom Weir on with us right now uh, with some questions for us. Tom, been on the show before. You had good stuff for us. What do you got about lentils today? Well, uh, just, just some comments. Uh, I uh, Where I am is sort of a borderline uh, for, for lentils. Uh, the drier the, the conditions probably in the most part for lentils the better it is uh, because they need stress to, in order to to set seed and so one uh, experience I had with him I had a grower I was working with and he wanted the year before I started working with him he grew lentils it was a drier year and he grew a fantastic crop of lentils uh, the next year um, he did a half section and uh this half section had a, a to the west side of it had a um, a poor gravelly uh, uh, area that went through it a rise, and the other half of the field was uh, lower land, better land. And during the year, it looked fantastic. That lower area grew uh, as high as uh, a crop of alfalfa. The problem is when it came to harvest it, that's basically you got as much lentils as you would have off of a field of alfalfa. They just grew and grew and never set any seed. So the big thing every year is different with lentils, uh, especially if you're on a, an area that is uh, could can have some pretty good growing conditions. Uh, and that's exactly what lentils don't don't want. Okay, so what are maybe a couple of other tips where you've seen good fields, not just how they look, but how they yield, what has led to the good fields, whether it's been weed control, fertility, uh, fungicide. I mean, what are just a couple of things that have stood out to you? The biggest thing, I think those are all important, but the biggest thing is to have a stress, an environmental stress put on those fields in, in July. Uh, and that's what, you know, it's it sort of counter what you think of most crops. Uh, you need that stress in order for them to, to start producing seed and uh, turning their efforts into reproductive rather than uh, uh, vegetative. They're pretty well uh, an indeterminate plant, and so you, you, you need that stress. And so if you're in an area where that stress is going to be variable, no matter how much uh, TLC you give that crop, uh, fertility-wise, I mean, you need a good phosphate 
start to, I don't know, listening to the farmer you had on earlier this year, you put nitrogen on and got a great, great response. But uh, thinking back to this year, it was a, a year that the rain stopped uh, in July and, and the stress was on it. So I think that it's if growers that are thinking about growing them, uh, think about your July weather and whether you, you're going to have that stress on it or not. Yeah, the problem is we never know from year to year, so that that gets to be a real challenge. Is there anything else, let's say it's late season, and let's say you do get that right amount of stress at that point, and you go, wow, I could have a good crop. Is there anything else you need to maybe finish that crop off? we got about a minute left, and I was just curious, is there anything you would do and advise a farmer to do in that late July, early August timing? Fungicide, fungicide, fungicide. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest yield limiter I, I've seen um, once you've got the, the crop coming good, setting on seeds is, is disease. Uh, I mean, uh, we do have varieties that are better now and with some of the disease, but, uh, you know, the, the disease can take that crop qu- quicker than the only worst I've, I've seen is uh, chickpeas, but uh, it, uh, those crops can be taken in three or four days. All right. Uh, great tips there from Tom Weir. He's an agronomist up in Saskatchewan. Tom, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate you calling in. Not a problem. All right. We are going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. If you've got a question for us, you can certainly call in 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriophol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help.
success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. Let's dive back into the mailbag. All right, Brian, uh, didn't give you a heads up on this one. This is from Jeff in Michigan. He's got a field of alfalfa and grass for the last few years, but now he's got a bunch of choke cherries showing, showing up out there, little shrubs, little small trees, perennials. So they're really prevalent by the time I get to second cutting. Is there anything I can do to stop it in my alfalfa grass mix, or nope. am I going to have to just kill them and yep. kill my alfalfa too? Yes. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do. When you've got alfalfa and grass together, you're either going to kill one or the other when you're trying, or both when you're trying to get those choke cherries out of there. So there's nothing I know of that, that I, I can think of where you'd be able to preserve both the alfalfa and the grass. We talk about this quite often. When you're trying to raise a blend of crops out there and the blend includes a broadleaf like alfalfa and a grass it's hard there just are not many herbicides that are going to be uh that are not going to damage that are going to damage the or going to kill the weed and not damage either the grass or the alfalfa so in this case there's nothing that i know of now what you could do is just go out and uh, do a little bit of spot spraying and, and just hit those spots. If there are just a few of them out there, then it's no real big deal. You're just going to kill a few spots. But otherwise, yeah, you got to kill the whole thing and start over. Yeah, no fun. No fun. All right. This comes from Andy. He said, I got a question about your workshops. I'm an Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscriber, and you recently sent me the login information, which is awesome. Unfortunately, the time that your or the day that your workshop is on for corn agronomy, January 13th, I'm not available. So I'm wondering, will they be recorded? Will I be able to find that information later on? Yeah, for a short time. I think we're only going to have those up for a week. Wasn't that what we had decided, Darren? I believe it's a week. So, and I'll I'll make sure they send out something to you on that as well in terms of how long the recordings will be out there. So I'll talk to our people about that as soon as we get done with the show today. Uh, and by the way, we do have our first Ag PhD ag agronomy workshops of the year. Corn, the corn agronomy workshop will be next Wednesday. The soybean one will be in four weeks from today or on four weeks from today. The in-person registration is already full so for both of them. But if you would like to view them online, you certainly can. And, and by the way, I apologize. Normally we can host about a thousand people in person at our facility right at our field day site. 
uh, at the Morton Center. But this year we're limiting attendance to 150 because of COVID. So hopefully we only have a few more months of this thing and then we're kind of back to normal. But anyway, if you would like to to watch the workshops, you certainly can. It's free to all Ag PhD Insider uh, magazine subscribers, paid subscribers. So if you have not gotten the magazine yet, just go to agphdinsider.com. It only costs uh, 50 bucks for five years or 20 bucks for one year. So it's very, very inexpensive. And we do send the magazine out six times a year and give you some great agronomic information in there as well. This question from Jim in the middle of Georgia. He said, I'm a conventional till farmer and I'm having trouble finding the best pre-emerge chemicals for stopping problem grasses in my corn. Just wondering what you would recommend for grass control with my conventional till and when you would apply it. Oh, uh, well, with grass, it's actually quite easy. Group 15, pre-emerge, and then till it in. And lightly till it in, please. Don't be tilling it in with a disc and burying it. But if you go light with, let's say, a field cultivator or something like that, uh, go fast, too, by the way. It will work outstandingly well. Use a full rate of a Group 15. That would be like Harness, Surpass, Outlook, Dual, or Residual. The the other thing that I would add to that, Brian, is if you can plant Roundup Ready corn, where you can spray Roundup post-emerge, that has been the best thing that's happened for grass control and corn because now you can kill the escape grasses and you can kill them cheap. I really like having Roundup as an option for post-emerge, but I would say this, the Roundup has no soil residual activity. It's only going to kill what's up that day. So make sure you're using that pre like Brian suggested so you have good residual control so you don't have to be out there every other week in Georgia trying to kill grass. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Jim. This one comes from Landon down in Oklahoma. He said, I'm farming with my dad who'd been soil sampling on two and a half acre grids to do some liming and also variable rating our P and K. We have seen a really good response on the farms where we're variable rated and planning to do some more this year where we're low in P and K. Now in the past, we've used a lot of different phosphorus products, but this year our fertilizer dealer is going to have triple superphosphate or 0460 available and it's going to be cheaper than the other phosphate fertilizers, which of course raises some flags. Why is it cheaper? Now, we haven't necessarily needed the nitrogen that's come in some of the other products like MAP and DAP, so we're interested in using this. But just yesterday, my dad came across a video of Neil Kinsey saying you can't build soil phosphorus with triple superphos like you can with MAP and DAP. He says triple super only works for about four to eight weeks, and then it gets tied up as tricalcium phosphate. So I may not have fully understood what he's saying, but here's the rest of our plan. We were going to band phosphate with our seed. We like to do some fall apps of phosphate to try and build the soil. And we also have liquid available for two by two in our row crops. So just wondering, will the phosphorus applied as 0460 become available later after it gets tied up? And is 0460 still a good choice for us as we try to build our soil phosphorus? We're raising wheat, sorghum, and sesame. Okay, usually we talk about MAP or DAP, so 11520 or 18460, and those are the best choices for the least amount of tie-up in, in the short term. Now, could your triple superphosphate that gets tied up after a few weeks, could that come available later on? Sure, it could. It's just it might be a year, might be 10 years, might be 20 years, might be 50 years. I don't know. Uh, but usually if 
it's even close, then we're going map or dap. So I, I guess that that's what I would say. And in terms of phosphate, when it does bind with calcium, our pro, the problem with that is calcium phosphate is insoluble in water. It can't dissolve in water. It's not available to plants. So again, could someday it come available again? Sure, it, it, it can and most likely will. It's just the problem is we don't know when. So when you're talking about long-term, big rates, you want to build the soil test, usually we're, we're leaning toward MAP and DAP. And also, I would say you want to get your soil pH as neutral as possible. Get all the other nutrients balanced out in the soil, and that will give you better availability of your phosphorus. Right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Landon. Thanks for your support, too. Got this from Tom in Northeast Missouri. I was wanting to try some humic acid with a side dress application of liquid nitrogen on some test strips this year. We'll be applying around 40 gallons of 32% at V5, hopefully, on our flat ground and 30 to 50 pounds of dry nitrogen, probably around V6 to V8 on a rolling ground that we applied anhydrous on this fall. Wondering what your thoughts are of this and what recommended rates you would have on the humic. Well, here's the problem. There are so many different kinds of humic acid and grades, and there there's no industry standard, okay? So whenever we talk to humic manufacturers, they'll always say, well, ours is the best. And, uh, and then it's talking about the rate and everything. So I don't really know. I just follow whatever the humic supplier you're buying from, whatever they would recommend in terms of rate. But where we've seen the better results with humic it's typically been where we've had more soil issues. So where our pH is off, where maybe some of our nutrients are off, where maybe the drainage isn't the best, where we basically have had other problems, then that's helped bring the soil back to life at least a little bit. Okay, so that's usually what we're talking about. And also I would say where we've compared humic and fulvic. Fulvic actually in a lot of cases will cost less money, but it's very active and we really like the fulvic with foliar products and also some in things, you know, possibly even some seed treatment stuff. But with the humix, that's more of a soil amendment. And so usually we're talking about a little higher rate, a little bit more cost. But yeah, I mean, we're all for trying anything, quite frankly. But again, where we've seen the best results is where the soil conditions have been the worst. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I got one other one here uh, from MLD. It says, I'm not a farmer, but relatively new landowner. I hear you talking about sudden death syndrome in soybeans, just wondering what it is and what causes it. That's a disease in soybeans. It starts out as a fusarium infection in the root system. And then when that plant has some stress during the year, a toxin comes up from that root infection and the plant dies and it dies pretty quickly. That's why they call it sudden death syndrome. Thanks for the question, MLD. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions today, and thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.